sing your way out of this one, Lucy Gray. this movie, but I think it's also safe to say that Rachel Zegler's performance was one of the worst parts of it. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the prequel film to the Hunger Games franchise is out and oh boy, things aren't looking very good for it. Rachel Zegler's The Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes had a lower take at the box office in its Thursday night previews compared to Brie Larson's The Marvels. Variety reports that Zegler's Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes only grossed $5.75 million in previews on Thursday night. That's nearly $1 million less than what Brie Larson and The Marvels did. And this is interesting news because previews Obviously, it was projected that the film would actually have a better opening than the Marvels, but obviously that didn't happen. Now, does this mean that the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is just too long a title, does this mean that this movie is going to be a huge flop like the Marvels? Well, considering that its budget is only reported to be around $100 million compared to the price tag of $274 million, if not more for the Marvels, uh, not necessarily. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is only gonna need to make around $250 million to break even or make a profit, which is is a lot more digestible than the, what, $600 million that the Marvels needs. But still, as this article explains, at least one expert is predicting that, quote, he believes the film will gross between $40 million and $50 million domestically, with an overall international number probably being somewhere around 85 to 100 million. So yeah, at least for now, it is looking like The Hunger Games will continue the streak of Rachel Zegler never having a profitable movie under her belt. And box office performance aside, in terms of critical reception, right now, at least according to Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score isn't terrible. It's actually pretty dang good. It's sitting at a 91%. Whereas the critics score actually makes this movie the lowest rated film in the Hunger Games franchise, sitting at a 62%. And now you watching this video, you may be wondering, that seems like kind of mixed messaging. Usually if an audience likes a film and critics don't, that means it's good. So should I go see this movie? And well, if you would like to know my thoughts on the matter, then keep watching because I actually did go to see Hunger Games, colon, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes in theaters and I am here to give you my review. And just a heads up, if you don't want any spoilers, then I would say pause this video and come back to it later because we are going to be going into specifics here. Now, as has been widely reported, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes tells the story of a young President Snow before he was ever president of Pan Am. It actually documents his life as a teenager and his fall from grace as a regular everyday person to somewhat of the maniacal sociopath that you see uh, on screen with Katniss Everdeen. By the way, this movie is based on a book with the same name that was written by Suzanne Collins, so the original author of the Hunger Games series. And uh, this is a book that for once, I have read. And even just back when the book was announced before that was even released, I was very excited for A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes because I love a good anti-hero. If you ask me, those stories are usually a lot more interesting and just compelling than your typical, oh, Mary Sue, I'm just, I'm a good person. So I'm gonna make all these amazing choices throughout the story. No, I like a little moral complexity. I like some shades of gray in my stories. And actually as a side note, if you guys know any TV shows or movies with 
antiheroes, let me know down below because I would love to check them out. I mean, I love Peaky Blinders for that exact reason. I watched The Handmaid's Tale, not necessarily for June, but because I think Serena is just so well written. So yeah, if you think there's anything else I might like in that same vein, let me know. We have a lot more movie to talk about, trust me. But before we do, I wanna say thank you to today's sponsor, Cozier. If you're racking your brain, trying to think of the right present to get someone, trust me, trust me, look at me. You will never go wrong with a gift from Cozy Earth. Best-selling sheets, luxury pajamas, ultra-comfortable joggers, plush lounge socks, or premium bath towel collection, you are sure to find the coziest gift for everyone on your list. Okay, I guys, personal experience here. I didn't even know we were filming a Cozy Earth ad for this video. but I am wearing my Cozy Earth joggers because they are just that comfortable. My husband actually, again, independent from them being a sponsor of ours, this was before that, he gets me Cozy Earth for Christmas. Their loungewear is just the most comfortable stuff you will ever wear. Our sheets are Cozy Earth. I mean, they are so comfortable. I'm the type of person who now, instead of like when I'm changing my sheets, going to get other sheets from the closet, no, I would rather take the time to wash my Cozy Earth sheets to put those back on my bed, lest I have something that relatively feels like sandpaper against my skin. Cozy Earth sheets and pajamas are made with viscose from bamboo, so they're not only uniquely soft, but they're also temperature regulating, which allows you to sleep comfortably year round. I can tell you that I certainly do, plus all Cozy Earth products come with a 10 year warranty. So give the gift of comfort this season and save up to 40% on Cozy Earth. Go to CozyEarth.com and enter my promo code CHEN at checkout and save up to 40%. And while you're there, be sure to check out their new cuddle blanket. They'll love that too. That's CozyEarth.com promo code Chen. Again, CozyEarth.com with the promo code Chen. But basically, yeah, I thought the premise of the story was really interesting to follow how someone could go from, I mean, probably being a, a pretty good person, but then slowly over time transforming into a power-hungry, murderous dictator. But here's the thing. That's a pretty big transformation to happen. Uh, I mean, no one's perfect. No one's 100% good out there. But still, I feel like for someone to transform into just a, a purely evil Stalin-esque figure, it's probably gonna take some time, right? Like several years, if not more. The main problem with the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the book, however, is that it attempts to fit that transformation uh, into a story that takes place over like a year, tops. I feel like this is a story that should have been its own trilogy or at the very least duology, but Suzanne Collins chose to make it a standalone book. And unfortunately that problem, trying to fit too much character development too fast, is something that the movie also very much suffers from. Because think about it, if something is too quick to happen in a single book, do you really think you're gonna be able to do it in a single movie? But in any case, I digress. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, uh, it takes place 10 years after the end of the Civil War that rocked Pan Am to its core. And so that also makes the year that the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes occurs in the 10th annual Hunger Games. And in case you guys don't remember, the first Hunger Games film took place during the 74th annual Hunger Games. So this, this movie is 64 years set before the film starring Jennifer Lawrence. Enter Coriolanus Snow. He obviously comes from the Snow family, which uh, in the capital was a very rich, very prestigious and very powerful force. However, after the war, things aren't looking so great for the Snow family. The only people left are Snow's grandmother, his cousin, who's only a few years older than him, and of course himself, just a student. And so these remaining Snow family 
family members, they are living in poverty, just a shadow of their former selves. They are still in, I guess, their family swanky penthouse, but everything has been decayed. It's bombed out. They're not able to keep up with the bills and they don't even have enough money to eat. But because this is the capital and people in the capital are very obsessed with wealth and keeping up with appearances, Snow is still having to pretend as if he's living this life of luxury while he can't even afford to eat potatoes. And by the way, this messaging, the idea that the Snow family is really poor, but they used to be rich, but Snow is still having to pretend as if he's wealthy to keep up with his capital friends, it's delivered in the most ham-fisted way possible. Like in one scene, Tigress, who is Corio's cousin, she tells him, you've got to eat something today. And he goes, no, save the food for grandma. But in the next scene, he's at some function for school and his friend is saying, hey, don't you want to grab some food? And he's like, oh no, we had so much steak this morning. The servants had to throw out some of it. And it's like, yeah, this is getting the point across quickly, which this film needs because there's so much that needs to happen, but still... Not much for subtlety, I suppose. But anyway, that brings us to the school aspect of all this. Because you see, this is the year that Snow is graduating from high school. And at his high school, the very prestigious academy that he goes to, every year there's something called the Plinth Prize, which is a cash prize that is given to the best performing student. And so I guess throughout his academic career, Snow has been working hard on his grades, getting perfect grades, never missing a day of school specifically, so he could win this cash prize and hopefully uh, help lift his family out of poverty. But uh-oh, there is a wrench thrown into this plan because it is announced uh, at the end of the year with no notice, of course, that instead of the Plinth Prize going to the best performing student, this year the school is teaming up with Dr. Gall, who is the head game maker, in order to pair students up with tributes, you know, as mentors in order to make the games more interesting because it turns out that people aren't watching the games anymore. And of course, what good is ritual child sacrifice if no one is watching it? And so now the Plinth Prize will be going to whichever student manages to make their tribute into the most of a spectacle or whichever student is able to grab the attention of Pan Am the best. So here, I uh, just want to pause the story. I've got to say this plot to me does not really make sense. Just keep in mind here, Coriolanus Snow and all of his classmates, they are high school students. They are 17 years old. So let's just say that getting people to watch The Hunger Games really is that big of a deal. We need our best brains on this. Let's all hands on deck, try to get people watching again. Would you really be putting the fate of these games in the hands of 17 year olds? I mean, I know why from a story perspective, it should be 17 year olds. It's so that Snow can fall in love with one of the tributes and they'd be the same age and it wouldn't be weird. But this overall is one of my main complaints uh, toward the YA genre, a lot of the times uh, the authors try to write in really high stakes for their stories, which makes sense. But then the way that they do it oftentimes involves adults giving more responsibilities than is rational to like literal teenagers. If I were the people who were adapting this film, honestly, I just would have aged them up a little bit. I would have made them university students. It would have made more sense. Not to mention the fact that Tom Blythe, I think you pronounce it, uh, the guy who plays Coralina Snow in this film, he is amazing. Uh, his performance was one of the highlights, definitely. However, the man does not look like he's 17. I mean, just look at that. This is a this is a 28-year-old man here who looks like a grown-ass adult because he is a grown-ass adult. Nothing wrong with that. But it's like, I'm kind of sick at this point of Hollywood, like shoving 30-year-olds down my throat and being like, yeah, this is a 15-year-old. Like, no, 
No, they're not. But in any case, it is at this point in the film that we are introduced to Lucy Gray Baird, who of course is played by none other than Rachel Zegler. So yeah, as part of the competition for this plinth prize money, all of the students uh, who are participating with President Snow, they all get assigned tributes. And this competition, if you can call it that, is orchestrated by Dean Highbottom, who is played by Peter Dinklage. And interestingly, it's also said that winning isn't the main focus here. Again, it's to draw attention, to make people interested in the game. So whether or not your tribute actually wins, you potentially, depending on how much attention you get, could still win the prize. However, because apparently Corio tells us that Dean Highbottom absolutely hates him, like him specifically, he has it out for, uh, Snow is assigned the female tribute from District 12, who basically always dies almost immediately. And even though this competition isn't just about your tribute winning, if they die as soon as the games begin, they're probably not gonna make much of an impact. However, as was the case with Katniss Everdeen in The Hunger Games, it turns out that Lucy Gray manages to make an impact just at the reaping before she even gets to the capital. You see, during her reaping ceremony, when she's chosen, she drops a snake down another girl's dress, and she also starts singing for the camera. Lucy Gray Baird, as you might kind of get from her name, that sounds a lot like Bart. She is a musician and she's actually from this like tribe or group of like Southern traveling gypsy people who all play music. Can't take my history. You can take my palm, but his name's a mystery. It's kind of strange, but she sings a lot in this film. And I have to say, Rachel Zegler is super annoying in this role, which isn't all her fault because I remember even when I was reading the book, I found Lucy Gray annoying. She kind of gives off manic pixie dream girl vibes, which is such a tired stereotype if you ask me. But I guess you could say, yeah, Rachel Zegler doesn't do anything to endear me to that archetype, but I have to say, her singing is beautiful. She has a wonderful voice. Her singing is the best part of her being in this movie. Is she such a good singer that I think she deserved this role versus someone else who maybe wasn't as good at singing, but was a better, more likable actress? Eh. I wouldn't say that, but Snow sees Lucy Gray singing at the reaping and he immediately devises a plan that he needs her to sing more for the people in the capital. And with the help of his cousin, he realizes that the best way to get her to sing is to get her to trust him because otherwise, if she just hates this guy, she'll have no incentive to try to help him. And so once Lucy Gray and the rest of the tributes arrive at the capital, Snow goes out of his way way more than the other students to actually bond with Lucy Gray and try to help her. Initially, this is portrayed as just something he's doing for himself so he can get the prize money, but through their bonding, they actually develop feels. And also I wanna mention here, if it seems like we've covered a lot of ground plot-wise, we are only like 30 minutes into the movie. There is just, there is so much that needs to happen in this film. Everything runs super fast. And this is a long movie. It's like two hours and 40 minutes about, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. As I'm looking at my notes, there's so much more movie that needs to happen. I'm gonna need to simplify my summary because my goodness, whatever. Eventually Lucy Gray gets thrown into the arena and she does emerge as the victor, the sole survivor. However, she's only able to survive due to Snow actually cheating. Yes, he cheats on her behalf by giving her some rat poison and also uh, basically making it 
so that some of these mutated snakes that the game maker throws at the tributes don't attack Lucy Gray because they're already familiar with her scent. And so instead of Snow being rewarded with the plinth prize after the games are over because he did such a good job marketing not only Lucy Gray, but also making improvements to the games to make them more interactive and interesting to people. Apparently it was President Snow's idea to have things like interviews so that the viewers can get to know the tributes and also allowing people to make donations uh, to the games to make sure that their favorite tribute can get food or water. But none of that matters because once Dean Highbottom figures out that Snow cheated, he is actually expelled from the Capitol. He is sentenced to life in the districts as a peacemaker. Now, if I were the one in charge of adapting this film, I would have made the first movie end once Lucy Gray finishes The Hunger Games, right? You could have spent more time building up the relationship between her and Snow, more time following her journey in the games, which let's let's face it, that's, that's the best part of any of the books or movies is when they're in the arena. And I also remember when I was reading the book at this point thinking, wow, this probably should have been its own book, but we are basically only halfway through the story. Story. because now we have Snow's journey outside of the Capitol. He is shipped off to District 12 as a peacemaker, AKA like one of the cops in the Hunger Games universe. And he originally was supposed to go to District 8, uh, but he ended up bribing his way to make sure that he was sent to 12 so he could reunite with Lucy Gray. And it's also announced here that one of his friends from the Capitol, Sejanus, is, is joining him. And Sejanus is an interesting figure because he's, he's the son of the guy who gives out the Plinth Prize every year. Just the guy has that much money. And he and his family actually aren't from the Capitol. They're from District 2, but they were essentially able to buy their way into Capitol society, but they're still kind of looked down upon uh, by the other people for being nouveau riche. But throughout the beginning of the film, Sejanus, uh, Snow's friend, Snow doesn't really like him. He just tolerates him. But he's really the only person that ever brings up objections to the ritual child killing of the Hunger Games, which is understandable because obviously being from the district, it just hits a lot closer to him how barbaric this is because he knows that it could have been him and that arena under different circumstances. And so after the Hunger Games, after his own tribute that he was mentoring dies and who was previously a classmate of his back in District 2, by the way, Sejanus decides, you know what, I'm done with the Capitol. I'm going out to be a peacekeeper with my good friend Snow and maybe I can make a difference and be a positive force that way. So Snow and Sejanus begin their new life in District 12 and Snow eventually does meet up with Lucy Gray, which is amazing. They can like have their relationship blossom, I suppose. But it's not long before Sejanus actually falls in with rebels. And Snow does try to dissuade him from doing anything stupid, but Sejanus doesn't listen to him because he's just that morally opposed to what the Capitol is doing. But eventually Snow records Sejanus basically talking about the treason that he is involved with. And Snow sends that recording back to the Capitol, specifically Dr. Gall. The way that the scene was done just does not really make sense. Sejanus and Snow are rounding up Jabberjays, those birds that record messages and it's here that basically Sejanus decides to divulge all of his plans to Snow, which of course is the best time to disclose treason, you know, when you're talking in front of biological recording devices. And so that action by Snow actually results in Sejanus, his only friend, whether he likes him or not, being hanged. And because they were somewhat implicated in not only the rebel plans that Sejanus was a part of, but also in some murders that happened in order to keep those plans secret. Next, Snow and Lucy Gray plan on fleeing Panem, just going north and trying to get away from the peacekeepers. However, on the way out of District 12, Snow lets slip that he has killed three people. Now he did during the games have to kill one person, kind of in self-defense-ish. He probably could have stopped beating him earlier, but it was enough 
going on that you could justify it. And then he also killed a girl who was saying that she was going to reveal that Snow and Lucy Gray were involved with the rebels which would have resulted in their death. So you could argue that it was self-defense. But then the third person is Sejanus and there's not really a good argument for self-defense for him killing Sejanus. Lucy Gray figures this out and she ends up leaving him in the woods, but not before he basically tries to shoot her. But it all kind of works out for Snow in the end because due to his high grades, his amazing performance as a peacekeeper, he was already being selected for officer training. But then on top of that anyway, because Dr. Gall is so proud that he has passed her tests, which doesn't really make sense because it doesn't really seem like any of the things he has done so far were tests. But anyway, she says that it would be a waste to keep him in the military and instead he is going to the university that he wanted to go to anyway. And not only that, but he is being given the Plinth Prize and is also being made heir to the Plinth Fortune for being the only friend to Sejanus Plinth. Reminder, his friend that he didn't even like that he is responsible for the death of. And Lucy Gray runs off and we never end up finding exactly what happens to her. And so that is the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes and oh my goodness, trying to summarize this film was a marathon. There is so much that was left out that I should have, I guess, covered, but for time, I simply can't. And that is because this is a story that was not supposed to be a single book or a single film. Someone changing from a sympathetic character into an all-around bad guy who's literally trying to gun down his girlfriend in the woods. That's an interesting story, but it's not one you can do convincingly in two and a half hours, which is too bad because like I said, Tom Blythe is really great as President Snow. He's as charismatic as the good version of him as he is the bad version. Likewise, there's a lot of really great performances here. I mean, Octavia Spencer, she's kind of hamming it up as Dr. Gall, but she's still really good here. And Peter Dinklage, I don't like him as a person. He's insufferable trying to kick out the ladder from underneath him, but his performance is pretty spot on in this role. The only person I didn't really enjoy seeing on screen was... Rachel Zegler. And again, I don't even know if that's all her fault rather than just uh, the writers trying to encapsulate the like weird Zoe Deschanel, I'm not like other girls, super special quirky energy that Lucy Gray has in the books, but not really having enough time to do that. In any case though, I've been talking for a long time. So here is what Papa Chen had to say about the film. Actually, I kind of like this movie. If you were to ask me, this is a very good movie. I would say on a scale of 10, I would give it at least a 7, 7.2. If you read the first Hunger Games to the last Hunger Games and then this one, I would say the first two were the best. And then this one, and then the last three and four, I would rate their very average. Now, this one, Obviously, this is already the fifth installment. A lot of novelties already gone since installment four and five. But this one has some good background information to tell you what happened in the past to cause this hunger game. But I find it is quite interesting to explain to you a bit more in depth. And at the same time, it both the actors are doing a quite a good performance. Except I find the actress, the 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 girl in this movie, I find Rachel her face, Taylor. yes, is kind of annoying. <laughs> Especially I find her voice is when she talks, kind of annoying. 
but she has a beautiful voice. But I don't know whether she actually sings the song. So you you think like the uh, the main character who played Snow, he's good and everything. He, he actually he is very good. I I'm really surprised. I've never seen him before, but he, he has potential definitely. Apparently, this film was slated to have the smallest opening of any Hunger Games film. Do you think it's going to go on to be successful financially? The way I see that, the the opening was in Germany. Actually, Germany is not a very big uh, movie goers in, in terms of population. I think for a budget of 100 million, they, they're going to do well, especially in Korea, in Japan, they are very big with Hunger Games. And in my opinion, there is a lot of resemblance, uh, I would say similar to the Korean TV series, The Squid Game. That will uh, draw a lot of audience from that as well. But again, 200 million for them to break even, they will achieve that. Do you think that this is the end of the Hunger Games franchise? Do you think there's going to be anything beyond this one? Definitely, because in the movie, it said like uh, there's going to be at least 20 years until the Hunger Games start, actually, the, last, uh, the number one movie. So in between now to then, I would say at least two or three more movies. At least, yeah at least two or three more. Actually, you know, the way I see that, how young Snow turned out to be Donald Sutherland. Because from, that, from the beginning of this movie, you can tell the guy was quite naive. And then slowly after this movie, how he slowly changed. And then more extreme to become Donald Sutherland. Yeah, I, 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 I think a lot of people will continue to watch these Hunger Games. That's basically all we have to say for now. Again, I did not hate this film. I want to be clear. I just think it could have been much, much better. It had potentially be greater than it was. But if you enjoyed the Hunger Games universe and you're interested in stories of antiheroes, then yeah, I would say check this one out. That's all for now, though. And if you enjoyed this video, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Until next time.